Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. Man, what a great day. It's uh, always a great day when we have baptisms. Uh, Excited throughout our three services today. I think we got 20 plus baptisms. And so uh, it's great to be able to celebrate what we were just singing. That in this house, people are coming to Christ. People are taking that step. We're seeing what we're teaching in action. We're right now going through the book of Acts. And uh, as we read through Acts, we see these amazing stories. We see these difficulties they face. We, we see these miracles that happen in it. And, it. and it's easy to go, well, man, it was exciting when God did that in the past. What we know, and I hope you hear and feel today, what God was doing in the past, he's doing today. He's doing around the world. He's doing in miraculous ways. And he's doing it through people who are willing to sacrifice for his sake. In fact, if you got your Bibles, turn to Acts 6. We're gonna look at Acts 6 and 7 today. And again, starting last week, we, we started to look at some of the troubles that the early church was facing, some of the issues they faced. Last week, it was troubles within the church, uh, some sin issues that had to be dealt with and God dealt with in a dramatic way. And starting this week in Acts 6 and 7, we we see not only internal struggles, but also external persecution that comes at a new level. That even though the church up to this point had been threatened in different ways, now those enemies of the church act on those threats that we see in this chapter. If you look in your notes, kind of five points that jump out of it, all of them have an always. And and in it, what we want to learn is there's some things that were true back then that are true now that have always been a part of the church. And so, as I said last week, we don't want to just look at these stories and admire the faith of the past. We want to see God move in our time. And we want to see God move through our church. And so, if you look at the first part of it, Acts 6, verse 1. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, the church is growing. People are coming to Christ. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the makeup of the church at this point, it's all Jews. It's Jews who've come to Christ, but they've come from different parts of the world. And so some of them were from the Greek speaking parts of the world. They were from other countries. Some of them were from Israel. They, they were Hebrews. And so you've got a couple of languages. You've got some different ethnicities mixed in with it. All of them Jews, but they've come from different places. And in the process, while this expanding church is going, there was a feeding program to take care of the widows because there was no social program. There's no government program. The church had to take care of them. And somewhere along the way, the Hellenists, the Greek speaking widows are not being fed. Now, do you feel the tension that's rising? And these are the kind of problems that can rip a church apart, frankly. I mean, you suddenly go, hey, man, you're not taking care of our widows. You don't care about them. Oh, it's because they're Hellenist, isn't it? Real issues that were there. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's not that the apostles are above serving the tables, 
But they're looking at it as we prioritize, as we look at this issue, we, we need to deal with this, but we need to recognize we can't get sidetracked in it. Now, here, here's the first principle that I, I hope you take away because we learned it from the early church. I hear from a lot of people all the time. They go, man, I wish we were just like the church in Acts. Here, here's what you need to know. As long as churches have people, churches will have problems. That is a universal principle that is carried forward for 2,000 years in church history. Uh, even before that, I, I was reading about a, a young rabbi who took over a congregation, his Jewish congregation, and during the Friday service, half the congregation stood for prayers and half remained seated, and they would shout at each other insisting that theirs was the true tradition. Nothing the rabbi said would calm them down. He tried, finally he went and found the rabbi, the 99-year-old rabbi who founded the congregation. He was in a nursing home. And the young rabbi laid out all of that he was going through, all that he explained. And finally he asked the old rabbi, he, he just said to him, he said, was it the tradition for the congregation to stand during prayers? And the old rabbi said, no. He said, oh, so it was the tradition for the congregation to be seated during prayer. And the rabbi said, no. He said, what we have now is chaos. Half stand and shout and half sit and scream. And the old rabbi said, ah, that's the tradition. <laughs> now, now here's the point. I, I don't care what church you're part of, if there are people there. And when I say people, I'm not just talking about you people. I'm talking about the people who lead it too. We're all people and we all have issues. And, and the beauty of, of Christianity is that God chose to do his work through broken people. He said, I chose the weak, I chose the foolish to confound the world with that. And those issues don't go away immediately. And, and, and I say that because there's some people that, that you've got your antenna up all the time and you're looking, if any church has a problem, you just write it off. Oh, that church has got a problem. Oh, you're just like other organizations. And I go, you're right. We're filled with people who desperately need Jesus. Now, as a church, we can't use that as an excuse to go, oh, well, we're going to have people, we're going to have problems. Notice what this church did. They dealt with them. You deal with the problems as they come. They went and they said, hey, we need to get some leaders on this. We need to take care of this. They got a group of men. They got Stephen and Philip. And if you read through the list of names that they chose in this, it's interesting. The ones they chose, it's a mix. It's a mix of Greek names and Hebrew names. Because remember the problem was, we got some dissension between Hebrew speakers and Greek speakers. And they said, hey, let's get leaders that represent both of them. Let's get on it, let's deal with it. And that's the best you can do. You're gonna have problems arise. We'll have problems arise. What we're called to do before God to the best of our ability is to go, hey, how do we step into them and deal with them? But notice this, and I think this is the important principle with it. Don't lose focus on the mission. The genius of what they did as much as it would have been, hey, we got to show that we really mean business. Hey, Peter, come here. Let's show as the leaders, we're going to be out there serving the food. We're going to be the key ones on it. Now, what they, they, they looked at it and they said, look, this is an important problem. We need to deal with the problem. We need good leaders. In fact, we need to raise a new generation of leaders to do this. But if we as the apostles who've been given this core message, 
who are the ones through the power of the Holy Spirit who are interpreting what the Old Testaments, our scripture that they have today mean. It's gonna be through the apostles that the New Testament is written. It's through their prayer and through their teaching. This whole movement is happening where we're called to be a witness to reach the world. If we get sidetracked from that, this whole thing falls apart. And, and here's what I would just encourage us and I hope with it. Because sometimes when problems arise, we turn fixing the problem into the purpose of the church. And what I would say is when problems arise, you deal with them but not at the expense of the mission of being witnesses for Jesus Christ in this world. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes hearts. The good news is the most powerful thing that we have. And so when our problems arise, yes, let's speak into them, let's deal with them, but do not make them the main focus. The main focus is always the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as they do it, what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmens. So you've got a couple of Hebrew names. You've got a bunch of Greek names with that. There's a mix of leadership, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed, laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even priests are coming to Christ as they see this work in it. Now, notice as you, you look through this list, you, you've got this next generation of leaders. We're going to see Stephen in this passage, unbelievable leader. Philip in the next chapter is going to start expanding the gospel. He's an unbelievable evangelist in this. And, and in these leaders, one of the things that always stands out to me with Luke, because he's going to mention Stephen a couple of times. We'll see it a little bit later. Every time he comes to Stephen, he always pauses. And, and he puts a you know, comma and a comma because he goes, man, I can't go too quickly past this guy. It's almost his way of saying, Stephen, and look what he says here. Man, you just need to know that guy was so full of faith. Man, he's so full of Holy Spirit. Later he's going to talk about, man, the power in his life. And, and I love that, that, that Stephen lived in such a way that, that out of that, man, when you said his name, you just had to stop for a moment and go, hey, let me tell you about this guy. There's something special about his character and God's hand on his life. Here's our second principle for us to take away. Leadership in God's kingdom is always based on character, gifting, and service. That's what you see in this next generation of leaders. That's what you see through scripture. It's that combination with it. Some people have said it's, you know, character, competency, and commitment out of that. You're always looking for a leader. In the business world, you're looking for a leader like that. But in God's kingdom especially, it always starts with character. That's why when you look at the elders of the church, when Paul says, hey, when you, you want to appoint an elder, look at the list for elders. It's a character-based list. Man, do they live out that character in that? And, and then there's a gifting. Do they have gifting to be able to step in and be used in that? And then the final part is, will they serve? Will they put their hand to it and be a servant? And, and I, I say this because I talk to young people at times, or maybe you're in the church and people come forward, they go, man, I want to be a leader in God's kingdom. I want to step forward. I want to be used by God in different ways. And I would just tell you that the key thing, focus on becoming the man and woman God's called you to be. 
Focus on becoming the man or woman that God's called you to be. You can't control, there's certain things you can't control. Sometimes you can't control opportunity. You can control no matter what your age right now, no matter where God's placed you, how are you pursuing him at a character level so that when the opportunity comes, you are the woman of God that he's prepared for that moment. You're the man of God that he's prepared for that moment. See, focus on those parts of it. I remember when I was in college, the college pastor that mentored me, I'll never forget. He, he sat me down one day and he goes, hey, let's sit down with 1 Timothy 3. Let's sit down with Titus 1. And you go through it and it's a qualification for elders. And I remember looking at him going, um, I am 20. There's nothing elder about me. And I remember him going, hey, if you ever want to be used by God, is this the character you're aiming for now? Don't settle for trying to just be a little better than your peers and not doing what other people are doing. Get a bullseye and go for it and go, how are these things true about my life? I mean, as I look at that and I think about Stephen, you know, you'll see when Luke, again, we're gonna see it again. When he mentions Stephen, he stops for a minute and he always puts two character qualities. Man, this guy was full of faith and he had the Holy Spirit. And this guy, you, you just need to know this about him. You know, he says his name and then there's those two commas. Hey, let me just tell you about him. And here, here's what I would just ask you for a moment. If somebody said your name, what would they put in the commas right after your name? Somebody said, oh man, John. Let me tell you about John. He's a man of this and this. Let me tell you about Susan. Oh, Man, I can't go past her name too quick. This is what I'd put character-wise right after her name. You know, it might be a good exercise at some point that you just sit down and go, what would I want put between those commas? What would I want said about me? Not because I want people talking about me, but because I want it true about me. Maybe there's a couple of character qualities that you go, yeah, I've always wanted that. I've always wanted to be that. Here's what I'd encourage you. Figure out what they are and just start doing it. You want somebody to say he's a generous person after they say your name? Then start being generous. You want somebody to say, man, she is full of faith and wisdom. Then start living in faith and wisdom of the word. Just start doing the things that we aspire to do. Sometimes I think we look at the Stevens and we look at other lists and we look at the qualification for elders and those kind of things. We go, oh man, I hope I just become one of those people one day. Here's what I would challenge you and especially young people in this room. Start looking at it and living it and the Holy Spirit will transform your life that it becomes a part of your life. But it takes people that go, yeah, I will work on the things. I can't control the opportunities I have. I can't control the man or woman God's calling me to be and pursuing that. And, and then with that, serve wherever there's an opportunity. Go serve where he's put it in front of you. And I say this as well, because some of you, you have leadership aspirations. And I hear it at times. People that go, you know, I'm a leader in other contexts. I really want to be a leader in the church. And I go, I praise God. I hope you do have that gifting. Now, where are you serving right now? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, if I don't see you serving, if you don't have the humility to serve, you don't have the character in God's kingdom to lead. 
That's how Jesus always set it up. He said, my kingdom is upside down. It's different than anybody else's. And, and, and I, w- I would say that of just where you stepping in of what God's put in front of you. I mean, I look at this list. You look at Stephen. Stephen's one of the most gifted guys. We're going to see he confounds the leaders because he's such a good teacher. He's doing miracles that they've not seen before. I mean, unbelievable guy. Philip is about to lead a whole evangelistic campaign to the Samaritans. He's about to broaden the boundaries. These guys are next level spiritual leaders. And what was their first job? Serving food to the widows at the table. And you don't see one of them like when the opportunity came and they go, oh, 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 wait, serving food. Come on guys, we're kind of a big deal. Come on guys, you're holding us back. Now, what do you see? They served where God opened the door, which then led for God to use them even greater for the kingdom. And so I would just call you today, if there's a leadership aspiration in you, man, we want to unleash it. You know where you start? Serving where God's put in front of you. And trust him with the next part of that journey. As they do this, Stephen, and again, Luke has to pause. He goes, Stephen, full of grace and power. (laughs) Man, this guy. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's doing miracles among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and some who were from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So he suddenly finds himself under attack. Different synagogues, different leaders, the Jews who had refused to accept Jesus, they've reached this point that they're so frustrated, they start attacking Stephen. And, And he's so gifted in the moment, no matter what they come with, he has an answer. Now, it's not just him. He's got this wisdom, but he's speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's confounding them. If you read in the rest of chapter six, they switch their strategy then. Instead of trying to argue him down, they come with false accusations. In fact, they bring the exact same accusations against him that were brought against Jesus. He's trying to destroy the temple. He's trying to destroy our system. And they bring him under trial, just like Jesus. In fact, if you read in Acts six, and we're not gonna go through all the way through Acts seven, because in Acts seven, Stephen delivers this sermon to him. They bring him on trial. And so Stephen says, hey, let's go all the way back to the beginning. I'd encourage you to read through Acts 7. You see his brilliance in it. Because remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. He's trying to reach them, especially those who've refused to receive Christ in it. And he goes, you guys need to see. You think you're doing the plan of God. You think you're doing the will of God and you're doing the exact opposite. And so he takes them all the way back to Abraham. He says, our father Abraham, who by faith he left Ur and he trusted God and he went on this radical adventure. And then he goes to Joseph, who who was rejected by his brothers, even though he brought truth. There's a theme in his message all the way through of these different forefathers who brought truth, who spoke truth, who brought God's way, and they were rejected by their peers. And Joseph, who went down into Egypt, And then he said, and the Israelites who were in Egypt and Moses who led them out. And by the way, they rejected Moses' leadership at first. And even when he took them in the desert, they chased after other gods. He says, even when they came into the land and the prophets were there and the prophets spoke to them, 
What did the prophets have to say over and over again? They had to confront the people because they had left God's plan instead of pursuing God's chosen one. And he, he weaves this theme all the way through of this is what God's been doing. And Stephen, this guy who's full of grace, you're gonna see even in his death, man, he loves these people. He's gracious to these people. But you wanna hear his final point? Look what he says is his sermon conclusion. You stiff-necked people. Well, that's pretty direct. You're uncircumcised in heart and ears. You're holding on to circumcision as your mark of faith. You know what your problem is? Your heart's never been circumcised. Your ears aren't open. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And he goes, you're just like the ones in the past. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and you didn't keep it. And this is pretty direct, isn't it? Probably a little stronger than we would be. And again, as I look at it, you look at this balance. Now, one of the reasons he's so strong is this is not the first time they've had conversations. Remember, he's been talking to them. He's been laying out scripture. He's answered all their questions before that. And they didn't have an answer for any of the things that he said. And he's been saying it and saying it and saying it, but he recognizes in it, this is this force that's not only attacking me, it's attacking the church, it's attacking the heart of the gospel. And they think they're doing it because they're following God when they're doing the exact opposite. Now, probably none of us will ever be in a setting where we're preaching to a strictly Jewish audience in that way or we're preaching in this context. But there is a takeaway out of this for us in this. Here's what I say, as Christians, we will always live in the tension between extending grace and speaking truth. There's always this place as, as we're interacting, as we're sharing the good news, you'll live in this tension. We, we, we do this now of how do I love these people well? How do I show them the love of Christ? How do I extend grace to people no matter where they're coming from, no matter where they're starting, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter what they've been involved with, no matter what they've done in the past. The good news is God's grace leads in it because God extended it to us. But that grace always has to be combined like Jesus. John said, when Jesus came into the world, what did he do? He came showing full grace and truth. And you, you always have to hold those two. And as a believer who's in the world, and maybe you feel that you're in a context that there's people that you're loving and you're showing grace to. And, and, and at the same time, there's times you go, man, where am I called to speak truth in their life? Where, where am I called to, to present them where their life and their sin is keeping them from God. And I would encourage you in this, you don't ever sacrifice one for the other. We don't ever wanna be people that we, we only do the one and we don't do the other. And, and what I've found in ministry, all of us are kind of wired one way or the other. Um, some people, you're very much grace people. That is your wiring. That's what comes easy to you. And you live in that place and you interact and God uses you in that place, but you really struggle when it ever comes time that's like, you know what, I probably need to speak truth here. 
I probably need to at least tell them where I stand or, or what I believe. I probably, knowing that, ooh, they may not like this. Others of you, you're truth people. Woo, you love you some truth. You have no problem. You lead with truth, you speak truth, but you struggle with actually speaking the truth in love. And truth without love, truth without grace, it can be really damaging. It can feel good. I let them have it and it was the truth. What I told them was absolutely true, but with no grace, you turn it into a weapon instead of help. I, I heard one writer use this illustration. I thought it was really well put on, on how we balance these two. Listen to it. He said, he said, sodium is an extremely active element found naturally only in combined form. It always links itself to another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the poisonous gas that gives, us, gives bleach its offensive odor. When sodium and chlorine are combined, the result is sodium chloride, common table salt, the substance we use to preserve meat and bring out its flavor. He says, grace and truth can be like sodium and chlorine. Grace and love without truth is flighty, sometimes blind, willing to combine with various doctrines. On the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive, sometimes even poisonous. Spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel. When truth and grace are combined in an individual or a church, however, then we have what Jesus called the salt of the earth and we're able to preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith. I would just tell you, I don't know where you're coming on the spectrum, but this challenges all of us. If you're a truth person, what would it look like to go, man, am I actually combining grace with this message? If you're a grace person, are we willing to stand and speak truth, even hard truth at times? Stephen was a man who was marked by the Holy Spirit. Stephen is a man who loved his audience, but he spoke some hard truth. And I would say with that, you, trust God with the results. Trust God with the results. Where he's led you to lead in grace and truth. And sometimes you have to say things and even the audience, they look at it and they turn away or they're angry with you. And, and we are oftentimes, anytime somebody rejects it, we kind of blame ourselves. Oh man, I shouldn't have presented it. Oh, I shouldn't have told them. No, that, trust God with the results. The audience will reject at times, sometimes violently. I mean, Stephen was a man full of the spirit and look at the response. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Did anybody present it better than Jesus? And yet if you read through his life, several times they tried to kill him because they didn't like what he was saying until they finally crucified him because the truth was so confronted with their lifestyle. And so as we, we look at this, we wanna balance these two things, but recognize we can't control the results. In fact, look in this passage, when this audience heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, he's still full of the Holy Spirit. He's not unloving here, guys. This is a spirit led message 
full of the spirit. He gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God. He actually saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Now this, they couldn't stand at all because in that moment, he's saying Jesus is God. And that's the one thing they denied the most. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I mean, one of the most horrific deaths you can experience. They drag him out of the city and pick up rocks and again, thinking they're fulfilling the Old Testament law, he's a blasphemer. They stoned him. And I think there's a sobering reality we need to embrace. Persecution and even martyrdom have always been a part of church history. Persecution and martyrdom always been a part of church history. And, and, and lest you look at it and go, yeah, oh, it happened way back then. Um, estimates, more Christians have lost their lives in the last 50 years than in the first 300 combined. The 20th century is known as the bloodiest century for Christians in church history. And 21st century in parts of the world, it's not getting any better. Now, just because we don't experience it to that level here, sometimes we can kind of get immune to it and we know it's happening in places. Hear me, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who every day, they are sacrificing their lives. Every day they face their livelihood is persecuted. Every day they live under a threat because they follow Jesus, because they love him. And they love enough that they're willing to share the good news despite that threat. As you look at it, we, we don't, need to be scared of it. We don't need to go seek it. We, we don't create persecution. It's not like we're gonna go out and go, oh man, that's what we should want. Paul says, always pray for peaceful lives. Pray that you have a government that lets you live and do your faith in peace. We, we never wanna seek these things. Trust me, our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing it, they're not seeking it. They're asking us to pray that, that it would be resolved in it. But, but Paul said, hey, you, you need to expect it. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, he said, all who live godly lives should expect persecution. Expect this is gonna be part of it. Because there's an enemy that hates our message. And he hates our God and he hates our savior. And he hates those who speak it. And, and we need to, to realize that that has always been a part of it that persecution around the world. And, you know, I, I was thinking about it. You know, we adventure, we send missionaries around the world. And then we have four regions in the world where God's called us, where we do deep work, where, where we support major projects, where we come alongside national partners, missionaries and, and those leaders who are from those regions and countries. Because we want to see God move in that. Now I was thinking about our four regions that God's called us to outside of the Bay Area. The Bay Area is our fifth region and, and you know our passion to reach those within this radius. But those four regions in Mexico, man, can, can I tell you the stories of our partners who live under threat? 
because of the cartels, because they're willing to go rescue people from those strongholds and introduce them to Christ and introduce them to a new way of life and the threat that they live under. I think of our partners in India. In India, progressively, day after day, the persecution on a national level keeps rising. That our partners are watched all the time. That some of them live under house arrest. That, that even though they are there and they're rescuing women and they're educating children and they're bringing hope and life to the community, that they live under this ongoing threat of those who want to stamp out the good news. And they're watching their lives. And they live under that every day. I, I think of our partners in the Middle East. And, and right now with the, the turmoil that's there, with the war that's there. Christians who already were in a place that, that living as a Christian, and, and some of them, uh, a former Muslim, some of them who, who stand out in that. And the stories that come out of, of partner after partner, some who risk their lives, some who lose their lives over it. The stories as well of how many times Jesus keeps showing up through dreams and through visions and the revival that's happening in that part of the world. And then in Ethiopia, this region where you see this great Christian base in the south, but this persecution that's coming in the north and the line across that and the persecution that's faced in it. I mean, it just hit me. God's called us adventure to these four regions. We're sending quite a bit of money. We have a huge outreach fund for those of us who are supported and those who want to be a part of that. A couple of million a year that go out to our five region out of that because we see the good news making a difference, but we recognize as well, man, our partners are sacrificing for that good news to go out. And I, I would just challenge all of us, if it's not on your radar, it needs to be. If it's not on your prayer list, it needs to be. We need to be praying for those who live this out every day. Seeking for the ways that we can connect with it. And recognizing as well, trust God to provide through it. Trust God to provide, even in those harsh circumstances. If you go to our partners, it's amazing whenever I talk to them because I share these stories and everything about it, when I look at it, everything about me kind of turns that like, oh man, this is terrible, what's going on? And then you talk to our partners, you talk to a guy like Saji John, who's doing unbelievable work in India. And yes, they feel the threat and he's asking for prayer. <laughs> Do you think it slows him down one bit? Absolutely not. It fuels them to be that much more passionate. You know, in, in the Middle East, a couple of our partners, God's using right now. And, and I, I would ask you, would you please pray? Pray this war would end. Pray for peace in the Middle East. I think for, for so many of us that, man, we're heartbroken with the attacks of Hamas and those who are hostages. But heartbroken as well for our brothers and sisters in Christ across this region, for the people who've been displaced in it. I, I want you to see a couple of pictures because God's working even in this. If you look at it, this is a poster. These, these were set throughout Gaza. There's been different prayer meetings that brought together. You may recognize a couple of faces on this poster. In fact, you can see them in the, the next uh, 
Ferris and Nizar, these are two of our missionary partners who work in the region. And Ferris has preached here and been here, Nizar as well. And, and what they're receiving is a award because instead of just watching it from afar, they've gone to the Middle East. They are leading prayer meetings there. They're using this opportunity to go, man, how do we spread the good news? How do we help those who are in this crisis with it? In fact, I want you to hear Ferris' words because he describes it, it's so personal to him. He said, approximately 25 members of my wife Suha's family are taking shelter in a church in Gaza at this moment. He said, we're not exaggerating that each day under siege and starvation and war, they feel that their future in Gaza is unknown. He said, but I envy them for the depth of their faith and their adherence to the Lord, despite the many painful horrors and the calamities they're exposed to every day. Listen to his words. He says, they teach us not to put all our trust in political solutions, but in the promises of God, not the promises of men. Pastor Nizar was able to, when he received this award and when they led these prayer meetings, listen to the message that he spread, the platform that he has in that. He said, we are praying for the healing of our land. Christ is the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace and the God of Peace. The Bible says, and the God of Peace will crush Satan under your feet. So that they're able to come into a place that is war-torn, in a place where so many people are displaced, in a place where we look at it, and guys, none of us know the exact political solutions that move forward. I trust that with other people. Here's what I know. I know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that there are people who need the good news, and I'm so thankful that we adventure get to support people like this, and the message they are bringing to that region is that the answer for the Middle East is Jesus Christ. And you need to turn to him and follow him. And I would encourage you to pray. Pray that God would move even in these worst of circumstances in it. Pray that he would move. I, I was hearing a story in Ethiopia. You know, our friend Aichi, when he comes in town, part of what we've done at Adventure in Ethiopia We've not just supported the existing ministries. Over the last 10 years or so, we've invested major dollars that evangelists and church planners would go into the unchurched regions of Ethiopia, some of which are the strongest Muslim strongholds. We've seen unbelievable revival through it. But they've also seen persecution from it. But even in that, God is working. You know, Aichi was in town last month and, and we captured just some of the stories he had around it. I want you to hear from him how God's working there. One of our, our leaders among uh, the people group where five years ago there was no a single believer. This people group was considered as a graveyard of missions. Then we prayed in partnership with Venture and we initiated prayer and then sent some workers there. The Lord started to bring one person, five, become five, they become 10, they become 50, they become 100. Right now as I speak, there are 250 of them. For the first time, the followers of Jesus came together and the church being planted, not just one church, but multiplying churches. In the middle of that, uh, our disciple has been uh, threatened by, by the people who didn't like what he's doing. And they sent young people to, do, to just destroy 
that burned his house. As they were coming at midnight, approaching the, the, the house, they see a person standing in front of uh, that believer's house. They said, oh, there is somebody who can't do this one. Let's come back the next day. The next day they went. The same person was standing in front of that house. They again did it the third day. That person is still there. And they say, this, this guy must have hired a guard, so we can't do this. But the disciple was not having any guard, but God is sending his angels of protection. That people group, for the first time, were able to translate few scriptures from the Old Testament in their own language in audio formats. They have never heard the Word of God spoken in their own mother tongue. So God is igniting disciple-making movements among the least and the lost. We are so grateful for what God is doing. And we are so grateful for the strategic partnership that we have with Venture because of the obedience we have seen. Once a people group once had been difficult to reach, now we're seeing disciples multiplying, churches being multiplied. So we really want to thank God for what he's doing. What you see in each of these regions, those stories aren't rare. A story about an angel who's protecting, about Jesus showing up in dreams about God moving across his church in all these places. Guys, our God is active just like he was in the book of Acts. Now he's moving across parts of the planet where they experience the most conflict, where they're right on the front edge of that. And he's called us as his church to support, to pray, to be a part. I would encourage you, Man, if you are not aware of what's going on in all these places, at the very least, would you do this? Go on our church website and start reading about the regions where we're involved. You can just start with those four regions because in all four of those places, they're experiencing this. And my prayer would be that as you start reading about it, as you start praying, what would happen in, to you so that has happened to many of us in this church, that God would really capture heart maybe with one of those regions, maybe with one of our missionaries or one of our partners that you would go from beyond just going, oh man, those poor people over there to going, that's my brother, that's my sister. And I wanna partner with them because I wanna be about what God's doing across this planet. And I wanna come alongside those who are on the front line and experiencing it. Guys, God is moving, even in the worst of circumstances. In fact, as this chapter ends, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Man, look, his dying breath as they're stoning him, he says, hey, God, don't hold this against him. He prays exactly like Christ did when he was on the cross. And as they're doing this, it, it's interesting, Luke throws in this one little caveat. All the people that were stoning him, they went over to this young man and they said, hey, can you hold my cloak? Can you watch the jackets? It was this guy named Saul who's right there with them, who's right there for it, 
who we will see comes out of this experience hating the church and doing everything he can to stamp it out (laughs) until he comes face to face with Jesus. And he becomes the greatest leader and evangelist and church planner the world's ever known. Guys, even in the hard times, even in the middle of the persecution, even the people you look at and go, oh man, that person is the enemy. Here's what you know, God is always preparing for what's next. God's never scared by what he sees. God's never put off by, oh man, I didn't expect this here. He's always preparing for what's next. And, and, and so I would say, just don't underestimate what he can do. Don't underestimate what he can do and is doing in India. Don't underestimate what he can do and is doing right now in Ethiopia. What he is doing in the Middle East. What he is doing in Mexico. What he is doing in North Korea. What he is doing in Iran. All the countries that are the top persecutors in the world. Do not underestimate what our God is doing in these places. And with that as well, don't underestimate who he can use. If he can take a guy like Saul who went from a persecutor to one of the greatest church leaders, then there's nobody off limits. There's nobody beyond his pale. Don't underestimate what he could do through anyone else, but let me turn it as well. (laughs) Don't underestimate what he could do through you. Some of the greatest leaders, some of the greatest missionaries, some of the greatest change agents, some of the greatest people who've taken this good news around the world, they started in a service just like this. And instead of just looking at the stories of what he was doing through someone else, they had the audacity to go, God, what could you do through me? What do you want to do through my life? How could you use me to be a part of these things that you've always been doing? And then by faith, you know what they've said to God? Here am I, send me, use me. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for our partners. I thank you for Ferris and Nazar and Achi and Saji. Lord, I thank you of so many like them who you have called them to context and places that you've frankly not called us. They are willing to live under this kind of threat and persecution. Lord, we pray that we would pray well for them, that we would partner well with them, that we would be the kind of supporters that we just don't think about them every so often in a message, but you'd place them on our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray for each person who's a part of Venture. Would you capture each of us with a place around the world where you're working? Maybe it's one of our regions. Maybe it's a place that they've they've always just felt you calling them to, that they need to pray for, they need to partner in. Lord, we pray as an outward facing church, we would not just look outwards, but we would reach outward with what you've given us. Lord, I, I pray that maybe there's somebody sitting here that up to today, they've underestimated what you could do through them. Lord, would you give them the courage? Would you give them the faith to believe that you could use them beyond their expectations?
Lord, I pray that each of us would have a heart to say, here am I, use me, send me. Whatever you've called to, for your sake and for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.